0: First, I'll look at the background of this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. Richard Scott Taylor was born on February 15, 1976, exactly four years after I was born. He had an older brother who was born in 1980. Richard's mother was named Carla, and his father was named Richard. His mother and father had married in 1973, when they were both 19 years old. In 1981, the family moved to Hamilton, Ontario, which is just south of Toronto. Richard was described as a social and athletic child. When he was in high school, his parents divorced. Richard's mother, Carla, became romantically involved with a man named Lloyd Allen Rutherford. He went by the name Al. They would eventually get married. In 1998, Richard earned a bachelor's degree from a college in Hamilton. He then went to a college in New York and earned another bachelor's degree. He moved back in with Carla and Al and started his teaching career. Richard worked in an elementary school in Hamilton teaching physical education. Later, he took a job at another elementary school, also in Hamilton. Richard met a woman named Evangelia and they became romantically involved. She worked at the University of Toronto in a job involving fitness instruction. On July 9, 2005, the couple married. They would go on to have two children. They purchased a semi-detached home for $266,000. Richard's father helped the couple buy the home. Richard earned $90,000 a year from his teaching job. His wife, Evangelia, earned $65,000 a year. Despite making a lot of money, the couple ran into financial problems starting sometime around 2014-2014 or maybe even earlier. They insisted on buying unnecessary items. They always had the latest technology, like cell phones. They frequently purchased new clothing. They did the same thing for their two children. The price tags were still attached to many of the items of clothing. Their children received lavish birthday parties, featuring an excessive quantity of gifts. The couple almost never cooked. They mostly consumed takeout food. Richard had a particular fascination with a coffee house and restaurant chain called Tim Hortons. The cost of Richard's Tim Hortons-fueled spending episodes were profound. Richard was paying thousands of dollars in banking fees because he went over the limit on his accounts. He used cash for just about everything because his credit cards were in a perpetual state of cancellation. His wife didn't have a credit card. She kept asking for one, Richard just kept giving her cash instead in 2017 Evangelia traveled to Thailand and Cambodia Richard gave her thousands of dollars in cash for those trips the couple planned on taking a trip to Greece on July 11 2018 Evangelia's parents purchased the tickets for their children her sister paid for the couple's tickets but she expected to be reimbursed even with the tickets covered at least for a while Richard could not afford the trip to Greece because there were other expenses. Richard told his wife that he had thousands of dollars saved for the trip, but in reality, the couple's financial situation was dire. Richard was at least $235,000 in debt. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On July 7, 2018, just four days before the scheduled trip to Greece, Richard visited the home of his mother, Carla, and his stepfather, Al. Richard fell down a set of stairs and knocked his mother over. He went to the emergency room but was sent home without treatment. On July 8, Richard contacted his brother Chris and asked if he could borrow some money. Chris said he didn't have any money to loan him. About a half hour later, Richard asked his mother Carla for $500. She gave it to him but said she needed to be paid back in 2 days at the most. Carla had a conversation with Chris about Richard's money situation. Both his mother and his brother were worried about his spending. Later, Carla and Al went to sleep in their home, right after Carla took medication for pain and to help her sleep. At about 3.30 a.m., now on July 9, Richard Taylor made his way to the house where Carla and Al lived. He entered through the front door, probably using his key. He walked to the couple's bedroom and poured accelerant on the floor At the foot of their bed. It's not clear what he used, perhaps something like lighter fluid or kerosene. Richard then set a fire, probably using a match. Al woke up and tried to exit out of the bedroom door. He was not able to exit. It's not clear why. Maybe Richard was blocking the door or the fire was blocking the door. Al jumped out of the bedroom window, which was 10 feet from the ground. He had third degree burns over 95% of his body. Al attempted to re-enter the house through the patio door in an effort to rescue Carla, but the door was locked. He tried another back door, but could not gain access. Al made his way to the front door of the house, but he could not get to Carla through the flames. Al managed to get to his next-door neighbor at about 3.40 a.m. The neighbor contacted emergency services. Around this time, Carla died in the house from smoke inhalation. Al told the neighbor that Richard was the one who set the fire. He would go on to tell several people that same thing before dying from acute thermal injuries and smoke inhalation about 11 hours after his wife died. As the police investigated the double murder, Richard Taylor continued with his life. He received $17,000 from his mother's life insurance policy. Within two months, all that money was gone. Much of it was spent on restaurants. There was also a small inheritance which Richard burned through quickly. On January 23, 2019, Richard was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder. He was found guilty on both charges and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Richard is still in good standing with the Ontario College of Teachers, which means he could teach in prison. He could teach his fellow inmates about various fitness activities like weightlifting, baseball, football, dodgeball, and dodge shank. That last one is more of a survival reflex than a game, but instructors are always in demand. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Now moving to my analysis. Here are my thoughts on a few areas that stood out to me in this case. Item number one. Richard Taylor has maintained his innocence. Surprisingly, there wasn't actually that much direct evidence against him, but his repeated deception and financial problems did not leave a lot of doubt. Richard not only lied to people about money, he pretended he had a limp from falling down the stairs at Carla's residence. When he thought that the police were not watching, he walked without a limp. It must have been one of those limps caused by staring. Item number two. Why did Richard commit the murders? I think that Richard was trying to solve two problems by committing the homicides. He did not want to go on the trip to Greece because he didn't have enough money for it, and he wanted to inherit money from his mother and collect on her life insurance policy. I don't think it's a coincidence that he set the fire two days before he was supposed to leave for Greece. I believe that Richard fell down the stairs in order to avoid going on the trip but later used his mild injury to make it appear as though he could not have been the one who committed the arson. Item number three, I think that Richard was struggling with the idea of murder right up until the last moment. A video surveillance camera captured a figure who was almost certainly Richard walking back and forth in front of his mother's neighbor. He was lighting matches and throwing them in the grass. Item number four, Richard managed to keep his financial problems a secret from his wife. He didn't care about paying bills, and he just kept spending money no matter what, but he did care about what his wife thought about him. Richard cut out numbers from bank statements and taped them onto other bank statements to convince his wife that they had money. She did not pay any of the bills and thought that they had over $100,000 in savings. It appears as though Richard's wife ignored a number of pretty obvious warning signs. A few examples. Right before Richard and Evangelia were married, she had to pay for her own engagement ring. On one occasion, Evangelia was contacted about $23,000 in charges on a credit card that she did not know that she had. Richard told her it was a scam. Richard couldn't afford internet service in the house. Everything was connected to his cell phone. When he left the house, there was no internet. His wife thought this was just bad service. Probably the most glaring warning sign was the family spending $2,000 more every month than they made. It does not matter if Richard was lying or modifying bank statements. The math simply didn't work. His wife should have known that uncontrolled spending leads to disaster. Evangelia would later say that she was not a very number-savvy person. This has to be the understatement of the century. Richard's wife makes Joe Biden look like a math professor. Joe Biden once claimed that there were 54 states in the U.S. To be fair, he may have been counting his own state of confusion four times. Item number five: Richard was not very popular with his own co-workers at school for a few reasons. He pretended he had cancer to get time off from his teaching job. His sarcasm was interpreted as mean-spirited by his co-workers. He enjoyed making fun of these students parents one time on a class trip to montreal a student from another school tried to jump from one balcony to another at the hotel in response richard laughed and said they're not our kids richard's coworkers also thought that he had stolen money for example they believed that he removed 1800 dollars from a filing cabinet the money had been collected for a school trip on one occasion he was accused of removing 50 dollar gift cards that were given to custodians and replacing them with $20 Tim Hortons gift cards. It's not clear if they were upset about the missing $30 or the idea that Richard was promoting Tim Hortons. Item number six, how would I conceptualize the case of Richard Taylor? This is just a theory, my opinion. Richard believed that he was entitled to spend money without consequences. It's almost like he had no concept of money or how to manage his money and had no respect for other people's money. His wife did not have a good understanding of math, which meant that Richard was free to keep spending. For a while, his poor financial skills appeared to be his only significant flaw. He was well liked by his wife, children, and his students. He did not use drugs. He did not gamble. He was nonviolent. He did not have affairs. Other than allegedly stealing at work and being overly sarcastic, Richard functioned fairly well in society. Eventually, however, Richard backed himself into a corner with his financial situation and decided that being caught was unacceptable. He was willing to do anything to avoid this, even murdering his own mother and his stepfather. He wasn't normally this callous. As I mentioned, he wasn't violent in the past, but his lack of empathy combined with stress opened up a new door of options, including homicide. Richard assumed that he could get away with the murders, just like he had escaped responsibility For his financial dealings. He devalued the lives of his victims. Therefore, he thought that everyone would devalue their lives as well. Richard did not think there would be any meaningful investigation. The case would just go cold and he would go on with his life. Now, moving to my final thoughts. Sometimes people who commit relatively small offenses are not dangerous, but they can become dangerous when there is a threat of being discovered. Richard did not have a background consistent with being a killer, but he did appear to have vulnerable narcissism. To the outside world, his homicidal behavior did not fit, but inside of Richard's mind, the flames of insecurity, shame, and desperation had been burning for some time. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.